as you just saw in that video, it gave a kind of a quick summary of where we've been with Jonah over the last few weeks, and it even gave a little taste of where we're going today. Um, this final chapter, um, this final chapter in the book of Jonah um, and this series, God's Great Big Love, has been pretty impactful for many of us in this room, including myself. Um, let me take a moment to just summarize again what we've been digging into the last three weeks and where we're going to go today. Week one, we saw Jonah rebel against God's call for him to go to Nineveh. And as Jonah flees 2,000 miles in the opposite direction of God's calling, we see the lengths God will go to bring his servant back, sovereignly sending a storm and a whale. God reveals his love that pursues. In week two, we saw God's great big love in deliverance. Jonah prays to God and surrenders his will from inside the whale. God delivers by having the whale vomit Jonah onto dry, onto dry land, thus showing us that our God is greater than the grave and is able to save. And last week, we saw God's great big love in forgiveness. God gave Jonah a second chance and a simple message to share. Through that simple message, the Ninevites respond with repentance and God forgives. Today we head in a different direction. As we, read, as we read the book of Jonah last week in chapter 3, we saw that in the final verse it clearly stated that they lived happily ever after. The people have been spared their life and the valiant prince celebrates the victory over the evil forces and they praise God for his goodness and their salvation. What a perfect way to end this book. But that isn't how the true story ends. There's more here. God not only wants to see Nineveh spared, but wants to go deeper with one man's heart, as well as the hearts of those who follow him. This final chapter is here to give you and I hope and help us to continue to align our hearts with his. So as we dive in today, let's look at the example of Jonah, and evaluate our hearts for the lost. I'm going to pray, and then we'll read through Jonah 4 here. So, Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the day, and we're thankful for your goodness, and we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful that you are so honest in your word, that you use weak men and women for your glory. Father, that we can look at the life of Jonah and have an example of someone who's much like we are, and we have the example of someone who you used in significant ways. God, thank you for the first chapters of this book. Thank you that the, Ninevehs, the Ninevites were spared, but thank you also for this additional chapter that tells us kind of the aftermath of what's going on in Jonah's heart so that we can grow through it. Be with us as we dig into this passage today and be glorified through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd follow along with me in chapter 4, it says, uh, But Jonah was greatly distressed and displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, 
Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city, where he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? What do we observe here? I, if I was in the student ministry end of the building, I would force the students to answer that question. What are the things that stand out to you from this passage? So as I start digging into that, just be thinking, what did you see there? First off, what I observe is that Jonah is not happy about this whole thing from start to finish. If we read through this book again today, we would see throughout. We've got an unhappy camper here. Commentators describe his anger here as hot or fiery. It's not just a random anger, oh, I'm upset about that. It's, I am angry to the point where he's saying, I would rather die than see these guys saved. Some reasons for this could be, as many of you know if you read this or have been with us the past few, few weeks, um, God has sent him to a people he doesn't want to go to. He then flees 2,000 miles in the opposite direction of the call, call of God. God pursues and redirects him, dropping him right off at Nineveh's doorstep. He shared God's warning with the people he wanted to see destroyed, having full confidence in who God is and what he is able to do. So with that, Jonah states, this is why I was so quick to flee. I knew you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. And to paraphrase, I am so angry that I would rather die than see those people spared. Where have we seen this attitude before? I have, as I went through this, this uh, passage, I was reminded of a couple examples um, from the New Testament, stories Jesus told. The first one, the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. The rebellious brother leaves, lives in sin, and then returns to his father's open arms. Here is the older brother's response. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. In summary, the older brother is saying, that's not fair. I deserve it. He doesn't. Jesus told another story found in Matthew 20 about a landowner who hired workers for his vineyard. Early in the day, he hired some at an agreed wage. 
Later that, di- later that day, he hired more, and then still later, he hired some more. When it came to paying the workers, the ones he hired last received the amount the first group agreed to. So the workers who were there all day thought they would get more, but they didn't. This is how they responded to the landowner. When they received it, their wage, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. So the workers are basically saying in summary, that's not fair, we deserve it, they don't. And that is exactly how Jonah, that's exactly how he responds, that's exactly what he's doing here. The Ninevites were a horrible people. Jason has painted that picture for us the last three weeks. Enemies of Israel. The ISIS of their time. They were a brutal people. How could God have compassion on them? It's not fair. They don't deserve it. But what about you and I? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that you deserve God's grace and someone else doesn't? Have we condemned people with our words and our actions? If we, for instance, if we turn on the news or check out our news feed on our phone, when we see headlines about people that abuse children or kill innocent people, who have you and I condemned labeling evil, unforgivable, worthy of death? Who have we said does not deserve God's compassion and grace? And the reality is, We have forgotten so quickly that you and I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God as well. It doesn't take long either. Just like Jonah, God saves us from the storms of our life and the mess we're caught up in. And within a few days, we're upset that he had compassion on someone else. We should be celebrating, not whining. If there is rejoicing in heaven over one soul that repents, Imagine the rejoicing over a pagan city larger than 120,000 people that does. But in the midst of Jonah's rage, he does something that I actually appreciate, but almost overlook as I read this passage. He could have just whined, threw a fit, threw a rock, broke something, but it appears that Jonah has grown. We can be encouraged by these moments in Jonah's life. In this one experience, although I should mention it's an extreme experience, Jonah has grown significantly. And just like Jonah, none of us have become perfect but are being transformed through sanctification throughout our lives, becoming more and more like Jesus as we pursue him. In chapter 1, Jonah is running from God. Today in his displeasure and anger, he's turning to God. He unloads on God and shares all his frustration. But how did God respond? A lightning bolt came down and Jonah was no more. No, that's not what happened. God responds with compassion. The dictionary defines compassion as sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. So sympathy for those who are upset 
and taking action to help them. And that is exactly what God does here. God does that for Jonah, and he can do that, do the same for us as well. But we have a tendency to unload on those around us in our anger. But God's desire for us is to turn to him and love those around us. Just like Jonah, we can turn to God in our anger, our sadness, in our deepest pain, we can unload on him. God can handle it. He wants us to do it. He doesn't want us to go to him with only ritual prayer and only bring our thank yous, although he is worthy of that. You and I were created for relationship. God wants us to be real, and that is true in our prayers with him. In fact, he invites it. Jesus says, let's see it here, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We also see in First uh, Peter, cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. Cast all your cares on him, not just some, all of it. He wants it all. God hasn't asked us to be the edited versions of ourselves, to post our best face so that he can like us. He wants the real you. He wants all of you. Even if we are out of line or not thinking straight, he comes around us with compassion. Just like in the stories Jesus shared, and I mentioned a moment earlier, with the older brother, I see the father gently reaching for his son and pleading with him. In the story of the landowner, he answers the grumbling with compassion by actually calling these guys friends. They, he values them. God does the same here with Jonah. He actually heard Jonah's complaint. He's listening to it. But now he takes the compassion further by showing compassion through correction. God heard Jonah's prayer and responded with correction. Jonah was exhausted and fuming as many of us would be in the same circumstance. When you think about what Jonah went through to get to this point, I think many of us would be at the end of our mental rope as well. But God comes to him gently. He doesn't agree with him. And let's mention that he also doesn't scream at him or harshly discipline him either. He challenges him with a simple question shown in verse 4. Have you any right to be angry? And Jonah does what most of us do when challenged in this way. He was gracious and accepted the question and came to his senses. We laugh because we know that's not how we do it. No, when we don't like the question, we flee to our room. We stomp off to avoid the discussion. And in this case, Jonah walks outside the city to a place where he can look, overlook the city, and watch and see if maybe the Ninevites will change their mind and go back to their wicked ways, or maybe God will change his mind and destroy the city. Either way, Jonah is miserable. As he found his location, verse 5 states, there he made a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He built a, built a shelter because the wait for the Ninevites' rebellion or God's destruction could be long. Up to 38 more days from when he first proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 
And since Jonah wasn't going anywhere for a while, God took the opportunity to restate his earlier question to Jonah. Have you any right to be angry? But he does this with a visual aid. As many of you and I know, sometimes our experience is the best teacher. So God looked around and he saw that Jonah's shelter was not up to code and was not going to be much good for shade. So he provided a vine. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. So Jonah goes from fuming anger with God's compassion to the Ninevites to very happy about the vine. What do you think about when you read this? I have a few reactions, but there's two that come up right off the bat. Is Are you kidding me, Jonah? And the other one would be, that's me. I fit that description. That's talking about me there. If I look hard enough at my life, or not that hard, I find that my heart isn't much different from Jonah's. What's more important, the salvation of a lost city or my comfort? All too often, I choose my comfort. The things I have are more important than the lost. We get angry and cry over our stuff, our schedules, our hobbies, our pride, but we know people who are lost all around us and carry on with our lives without a second thought, or we feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit, and then we move on. And it gets worse. How do we respond when God takes away those things in our lives, those comforts, those vines? For many of us, we act just like Jonah. Verse 7 states, But at dawn the next day God provided a worm, which chewed the vines so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Jonah's response, he wanted to die, and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. We do that, don't we? I know I do. I get so caught up in the little things and fly off the handle. And many times, it's because like Jonah, I'm self-focused. And sometimes, when we go through the stresses of this life, like not being obedient to God, almost drowning, being stuck in the belly of a whale, figuratively, then doing something we really don't want to do, It builds up, and all of a sudden, the smallest thing sets us off. But we have a compassionate God who cares and is there as he corrects. God asks Jonah again, do you have a right to be angry, this time about the vine? Do we have the right to be angry about the correction God gives us in compassion? He will remove our vines or comforts to correct us, to transform our hearts to become more like his. And as many of us know in this room, he will do what he needs to do for our hearts. Finally, we have a God who shows his compassion for the crowds and the cows. I'm giving Jason Carlson full credit for that title I don't know why or how he comes up with those things, but the crowds and the cows. Jonah's story shows his compassion for one man as well as mankind. 
The book of Jonah bookends with this truth. In chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And now in chapter 4, God continues his correction of Jonah by reminding Jonah of his love for the lost. God states, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God is going straight for Jonah's heart here. It's okay for Jonah to care about the vine that he didn't create, just like it's okay for us to care about the things that we put our comfort in. But he needs to understand, and we need to understand, that God created the plant that has the value or that comfort he has provided it. God also created the, Nin the Ninevites. God is concerned about their destruction. He's concerned about the destruction of the people he created. He's reminding Jonah that he, God, loves and is concerned about Nineveh because he made them. Like Jonah, God loves each of us even when we fail. But he loves others as well. Think about the people around you, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your enemy, the kid that bullies you at school. Think about the political unrest we see on TV right now, politicians, people from different walks of life, experiences, beliefs, and race. When we accept God's love, we need to accept those he loves. All men and women are created by God and in his image. And we need to remember that God showed his greatest compassion for us all. He showed his greatest compassion for us all through Jesus. Last week, Pastor Jason shared from Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The message isn't just for you personally, it's for us all and for all. Even those we see as enemies or unlovable. <clears throat> we were all once enemies of God. Our sin and wickedness separates us from our holy God. Everyone, it's God's desire that Everyone know his love and see his compassion. God shows it to all. Romans 5.10 states, When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And also in 2 Peter, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It doesn't just say Justin there. It doesn't say your name there. It says anyone and everyone is God's desire. He wants us all. Now, sermons are great, but testimonies, I think, are better. In this group of believers right here, <clears throat> there are many of us that have had some Jonah moments in this life, myself included. I could go on and on. Picking and choosing who to accept and who is worthy of his love and compassion. We've chosen our comfort rather than the lost. 
I've invited Lynn Moore, a friend of ours, um, and co-founder and CEO of the Acres of Life Therapy and Wellness Center to come and share a time when she allowed God to work through one of her Jonah moments. So, Lynn, would you join me? Yeah, that's right. Good, good, good. Thank you. Can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lynn Moore, and um, I'm literally shaking in my boots right now. So, <laughs> um, I didn't realize five years ago that I was uh, in a Jonah moment, but uh, I'm here to share um, that one time. I know I have lots of others. Um, we run a program here, that uh, ministry in the community called Acres for Life, where we incorporate um, horses, or the Lord uses horses to help people to heal and transform. We're grateful to do that, and we open that facility up to anyone that needs it. So about five years ago, um, well, the certification that we have is the EGALA certification, EGALA model. It's the Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association. So um, each year we go to the EGALA conference, and we present at it and share what we're doing here in our community, and um, others are there sharing as well. So about five years ago, I went, um, and after I was done presenting, I went to a breakout, right, to learn some more from other people who are doing this. And that breakout was about working with incarcerated youth, sexual offenders. And as I sat there in that breakout, I was like, there is no way. There is no way that we're going to work with these youth that are incarcerated um, as sexual offenders. And I was like, I'm so grateful that someone else can. That's just awesome, you know. I think that's great. And I'll refer them and, you know, all of that. And so I went back to my team that was there with me and I said, hey, guys, guess what? I'm really clear on who we're not going to work with. And they're like, what? <laughs> and uh, because normally, I mean, it's open to everybody. And so they're like, okay. I said, yep, incarcerated youth, sexual offenders, just not going not gonna to work with them. And uh, so a little bit later, I went to another breakout. That breakout was about um, having surface, service um, programs or um, service, what do you call it again? Yeah, so they come out and do service projects, right, in exchange for um, the therapy. And I was listening to all these great things that people were doing with service projects and having groups out. And I sat there and I said, well, that never works for us. We've had groups out, and they, they don't want to be there. They end up being more work for us than if we just did it ourselves. So I went back to my team, and I said, guess what? We're not going to do service projects either. And they're like, what? <laughs> okay, okay. So I left the conference with these two things. Not working with incarcerated youth, sexual offenders, and we're not going to do service projects. We're not having anybody out to do that. We'll just do it ourselves. All right, so we travel back on a Sunday. Monday morning, I go to my office. I um, pick up my phone because there's a voicemail. The voicemail is from the director of the Lionel's, Lionel Lakes Correctional Facility. And she says in her voicemail, I have been watching your program, Lynn, for the last eight years. 
and really, really want to see how we can get our incarcerated youth, sexual offenders, you know where I'm going here, (laughs) Um, out to your program, and we'd like to do a service projects. I was doing the same thing as I was listening to this voicemail. Like, God, you are hilarious. So I finished up the voicemail, called her back, because I was like, God, if you are asking me to do this in such direct way, of course, you know, I'm going to call her back. And I'm going to explain to her why we can't do this, though. (laughs) So I called her back, and I said, um, you know, shared what I just shared with you guys, um, about how that's just not a good fit for our program. We have young boys at our, our, our programs at our home. We have young boys here. We're just not going to open ourselves up for that. And she listened, and then she said, I have five reasons why this is going to be different. Incorporating a service project into it. She listed those five things off. And I said, okay, we'll try it once. <laughs> So that was five years ago, and I'm pleased to say that um, God has used those boys to minister to my heart, my family's heart. They come out now every summer from the first week of June when they're out of school. They do a day of service project, and they, they work, and they love it, and we love them, and we are grateful for what they do for us, because without them, we couldn't do all the other things that God's bringing our way. And then they come out on Thursdays for therapy, and we exchange that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And they've been doing it so June to August to September, weekly, for the last four years. I share that story with them each year, too, about how God had just changed my heart, that I I didn't want to work with people like you, right? I was thinking that my sin, right, was not as bad as other people's sin. And as we know, that's not, there's right, sin is sin, and God loves all of us. I remember one um, of those boys out in the pasture with the horses, and he was with this broken-down horse every week. That broken-down horse just passed away two weeks ago, had been there with our program for a long time. That boy was with that broken-down horse each week, spending time with them and just looking in his eyes. He turned to me the last week he was there, and he said, I want to be looked at how this horse looks at me. He sees me for who I am, not what I've done. Right? And we were able to talk about how God sees us that way. It's just been a fabulous thing to actually have gone through and have God change my heart through those boys. So, thank you. It may have been wiser for me just to let her talk the whole time. <laughs> I don't have nothing else to say. But yet I do. I've got some stuff for you. Thanks so much, Lynn. That was awesome. Thanks for being vulnerable and being real with us. Like I said, for many of us in this room, there's probably been those moments, 
And I pray that God would use us the same way, that at some point we'll see how he worked through it in a great way. So as we close up today and we head home, what do we do with this? How do we apply this passage? I think there's application throughout, at least for me there is. Here's a few things just to take with you, um, and we'll list them up here. Number one, take your cares to him. He cares about you. If you feel that God doesn't care about you, so you can't take your cares to him, talk to him about that. Say, God, I don't feel that you care about me, or I don't feel cared for by others. Take your cares to him. Take it all to him. Don't unload it on everybody else around you. Don't overflow the frustration, the stress, the anger on everybody else. Take it to God first. Number two, soften your heart to the things of God. Be open to his correction. And actually ask him to soften your heart for the lost. You know, I, where I do ministry, that's my job. Yeah, I get paid to actually do ministry, which is uh, kind of crazy when you think about it. But there's many times I have to remind myself that this is God's ministry, not a job. And I have to go to God and say, soften my heart. Help me to think outside of just I'm doing my job. And for many of us, we need to actually say, soften my heart for the lost. Number three, don't lose focus on what's important. Your stuff, your activities, your reputation, it's, it's not as important as the lost. You can't take your stuff with you, but why not allow God to use you to bring some Ninevites with you? Number four, get to know the people around you. It's hard to care for people you don't know. All right? So get to know them. It's not an accident that you work where you do, have a locker next to that student next to you, live where you do. It's not an accident you keep running into the same person over and again. Let God use you. Get to know people. Number five, reach out to the Ninevites in your area. Look for or create opportunities to minister to others. Be creative. It might mean opening up your home, participating in a local ministry. Look for ways to reach out to people in need. As I close, I just want to make this final statement. Now that we're closing this chapter on God's great big love for us, this, today, the book, this is where this chapter ends. And we have no idea what Jonah's response was to God's great big love in compassion. But you and I have the ability today to choose how we respond. So let's take that home with us. Join me in prayer. Dear Jesus, we're so thankful for this passage of Scripture, one that we sometimes just overlook. But God, thank you for using Jonah to minister to us. Thank you for your pursuit of us, your deliverance of us, your forgiveness of us, and your compassion. Thank you that even us, insignificant me, are valuable to you, Father. Help us to understand that you have been compassionate to us and that we now need to go be compassionate to others and maybe others that we don't think deserve it. God, break our hearts for the lost, for those who seem out of reach. 
Go with us from this place and be glorified through each person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd stand with me as I close from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Go in peace.